Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I'm here with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. So nice to see you. And Dr. Brian Goff. Hi, Brian. Hey, it's good to see you, Sheila. We talk about mental health and that we're all along a spectrum of wellness. And some days you're going to feel really great and other days you're going to be suffering. And we're trying to normalize the experience of suffering. But shame is one of those experiences that no one, I have never met a person who said, yes, I love it when I feel shame. <laughs> We're talking about shame, an unpleasant self-conscious emotion typically associated with a negative evaluation of self. Withdrawal motivations and feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, and powerlessness and worthlessness. Sometimes the dictionary is just amazing in summing up what we're about, <laughs> right? That's a powerful, powerful word. Yeah. And actually, you know what you said, Sheila, about, you know, nobody likes shame that, you know, it has been said that shame is actually the most painful of human emotions because mm. evolutionarily humans have evolved to respond to shame as if it were a, a literal threat to your life from the position that Brian and I come from all behavior and all emotions have evolved to serve some function. That's yeah. why we still have them. Yeah. And so shame was this emotion that evolved in order to help the tribe get along. Uh -huh. So if somebody broke a kind of moral or a standard within the tribe, they would experience shame. And if if they couldn't repair that and the person then was exiled from the tribe, literally the person would die. Right. And so we start, we have evolved to respond to this feeling of shame as if our lives depended on, on kind of repairing that in some way. So it is incredibly painful to people, incredibly painful. Isn't it also true, though, that tribes as part of the shaming ritual would allow redemption yes. and yeah. a bringing back into the fold? And that part of our modern experience has disappeared. We don't get an opportunity to come back into the fold. Cancel culture, some of the other things we've discussed means you've erred, you've wronged, you're out, you're banished, go away, we never want to see you again, which is the equivalent of sending someone into the jungle alone. Absolutely. And actually, there's some really interesting uh, cross-cultural data about shame that shows that cultures that do have avenues for redemption after shame, that shame doesn't predict the negative outcomes, the negative psychological outcomes that shame does predict in a culture like the U.S. where we don't have these avenues for redemption anymore. And so you're exactly right. Shame is not always problematic, but it has to be shame with the ability to rejoin the tribe yeah. or the ability to have some redemption. Otherwise, it's it's not helpful in, yeah. in that way. And oftentimes, people perceive that they violated one of the uh, community values, and they haven't. Uh -huh. Oh, sure. So they're, yeah. they're misreading the situation. Yeah. And I often think of it as guilt is when you violate your own standards, yeah. and shame is when you violate the standards of a, of a community, and you're afraid that they're going to kick you out either literally or relationally kick you out or push you further away. And that's that getting kicked out of the tribe and into the savannah all by yourself. Exactly. Is what it ends up feeling like. But a lot of times people have shame over things that really there is no judgment around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think about, you know, what you just said, Jenna, in terms of it evolved as a method to try to keep people in line, keep them within the tribe and and teach them how to, to be within a certain context. And, and I think back to my parenting and 
there, there is, uh, I think I might've told you about this experience before, but I feel this shame over this experience of, I was loading Sophie in her stroller. I turned to get water bottles and she pushed off and she went backwards down our driveway, which was quite steep. And uh, if not for an alert neighbor who threw himself in front of the stroller, she would have died because she was going to smash into a truck. And I, I feel even today when I tell people about that experience, the kind of shame that makes me think I need to go take a minute and cry mm -hmm. because I am so ashamed of myself for making that mistake. Now that's like, is that a, a normal um, eruption of what shame was supposed to do? Was it supposed to teach us, okay, moms, you did this, you're, you feel ashamed, now you're going to be a better mom. Is that also one of the uses? Well, I think actually that points out one of the important and positive qualities about shame is it tells you something about what matters to you or yeah. it can tell you mm -hmm. about something what that you're mattering about. Yeah. You can choose whether or not, you know, you want to make it important. But for you, I mean, I know you and I know Sophie and yeah. family is the most important thing to you. And so when you have evaluated that your action did something to put her in harm's way, it would make sense that you would feel shame around that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And another distinction between shame and guilt, Brene Brown talks about guilt is uh, I did something bad and shame is I am bad. Mm -hmm. And so if what you're feeling all these years later is shame, that um, it isn't just, oh, I screwed up and I did something bad that there's probably some story you have about what does that mean about me as a mother? Something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I was thinking about the two different ways of thinking about guilt, shame. One of them mm -hmm. being, you know, personal values versus community values. And the other is like, I am bad. This thing I did was bad. And the common ground for me, as I thought about that was sometimes the community says, Hey, that thing you did, that's not okay. And that thing gets punished or reprimanded or, you know, something like that versus that thing you did was so bad that you are gone. Uh -huh. and, right. and it's almost like in those instances, the community extends beyond the behavior, the quote unquote bad behavior that you engaged in and makes it about really just you as a, as a human. As a person. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And something related to that, Brian, that was based on what you were talking about there, Sheila, is when we look at the differential impacts yeah. of shame, if you think about shame as essentially a, a way for the community to keep everybody in line, well, keeping everybody in line is another way of saying, be like the, the most common, most powerful person. Mm -hmm. And so the people who might deviate from that straight, white, cis, male person in power, the person who don't fall into that norm are much more likely to experience shame and to experience the negative impacts on that. Mm -hmm. And so shame is much more destructive and harmful for folks who have low levels of power versus people at the high end of power. They like shame because it's keeping it, it keep, keeping yeah. the status quo and the status quo works for them. Yeah. yeah. If I would say one thing uh, about suicide prevention, it's that I wish everyone could understand what shame is, whether they're carrying it and what it's doing to their own self-worth and their ability to live in this moment. Because I think 
having now lost several people that I know to suicide, I feel like shame was the current thread in every single human. And for, for most of the people I knew, it was deeply based in a religious ideal mm. of who their church wanted them to be, who their church believed that they should be. They variated from that norm and they felt as if they could never quite be the right person again. Do you see that commonly? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's very common. And at least my experience with people who have died by suicide, it's very rarely just about, I can't handle this pain anymore. It's very often about, I don't deserve to be in this community. They would be better off without me. I can't ever be a part of these relationships. I'm a burden. I'm a burden. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it's that self-ostracizing, the ultimate self-exile. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost, there is no community for me. Yep. Uh And I am kicking myself out of my community with myself. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. And what, and unfortunately, so all emotions have an action tendency that mm-hmm. goes with them. That is like what the urge is to do when you feel the emotion and the action tendency that tends to go with shame is to hide. Uh-huh. And so unfortunately what happens is when we feel shame, we don't reach out to our community or other people that might be supportive to be able to get some feedback or some help around that. Yeah. We hide because we feel this is shameful, right? And so we hide in our shame. And you see this with people who eventually die by suicide. They don't reach out to people as much. They withdraw. They hide. And then there's no ability to kind of crack through that shame. Right. And just to extend that idea that emotions have these action tendencies, more often than not, those action tendencies across whatever emotion we're talking about tends to maintain or increase the emotion that we're feeling. It's as though emotions yes. love themselves. Yes. Oh, that's right? exactly. such so, a great bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. Your emotions love themselves. Yeah. I mean, think about it. When They're you're, reproducing. When you're sad, you yeah. shut down, isolate, withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. That's a prescription for being more sad. That's yeah. When you're in a good mood, when I'm in a good mood, I want to get things done and have yeah. a fun time. Totally. When I get things done and have a fun time, I tend to be happier. When we're afraid, we avoid. You want to become afraid of something? Avoid it for a really long right. time. Right. And, and if I want to be ashamed of something, just choose something and decide I'm not going to let anyone see it and I'm going to hide it. Yeah. You know, the trick is what kind of thing will I actually get judged for? So if we took a break here and I went to the restroom and I was washing my hands and I turned on the sink and the water jetted out for some reason and sprayed water on my pants, looks like I wet my pants. I could come in here and pull my shirt over my pants and hide it and all of that. I'm going to become more and more self-conscious about Mm -hmm. this water on my pants as opposed to if I came in and went, can you believe what I did? Right. Jeez. You know, splashed water on my pants. If on the other hand, I was sitting in here and we're having this conversation and I just peed myself, just just went to the bathroom in my pants and said, hey guys, look what I did. Your response to me... (laughs) is going to be quite a bit different unless, of course, you think that it's for a medical reason and so forth. But your response to me is going to be very different in that instance. Yeah. So there might be places where I need to discreetly slip away or I need to discreetly wrap this thing up and go home and change clothes and whatever else. Or I need to say, wow, look at this. Look at this crazy, embarrassing thing that happened. It looks like I wet my pants. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think when it comes to shame, the idea here is 
you pay attention to the context. Is my context or my community, the people I'm surrounding myself by, are they giving me the message that who I am or what I have done, mm-hmm. it needs to change in some way? And then you check in with yourself and you say, would that be what I choose? Mm. Like if, if I got exactly. to choose what, you know, how I wanted to be in this world, would I say, yeah, that's something I don't want to be doing? Yeah. If so, great. Let's work on kind of shifting things for you. If there's a discrepancy in those two things, what you may need to do is you might need to change your context versus changing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about just how much more intense it has become to feel shame because of the internet and social media. Um, how readily available the tools of shaming oneself are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how readily available they are for someone shaming someone else how there is groupthink on Twitter that decides who we're shaming and how far we're going to take them. Talk to me just about some fair rules of play that you think would help people in both thinking about their online presence and how they are in the world. With respect to how they... uh... Here's why I ask. (laughs) I think that the intimacy of social media allows a lot of people to be able to put out their shame. And instead of getting support and a good psychiatrist or a psychologist helping them through how to walk through that, they can actually get the opposite. I see what you're saying. Right. Right. So if you show the opposite of the hiding, if you show in a social media context, the feedback that you get may not be the kind of thing that lowers the shame. Either there won't be feedback or it may be negative feedback. I was thinking along the lines of, the way that people sometimes participate in social media, sort of the call out culture or when you're distanced from someone, it's really easy to be mean to flame. Right. And you don't get as much feedback when you say something mean towards somebody. If you do it face to face, they kind of, you could see it on their face. They don't like that. And you kind of have this response like, Oh, that doesn't feel good to be mean like that. Yeah. When you do it, through the filter of social media, you don't get that feedback. And it's like, this is really fun to be really outspoken and blah, blah, blah. So it's modeling. If I let people know that this is going on in my life, I've seen the way other people get treated on social media. Yeah. I don't want right. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a really good book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book. It's been out for a few years, mm-hmm. but we're in this culture where the norm has become that it's okay to shame other people. And I think that's a very significant shift. Yeah. That that has become so much more common because of social media and the internet, that people are really suffering in these ways that maybe they haven't before. Again, I'm just going to go back, Sheila, to what you said at the very beginning, because I really think this is key when it comes to shame. I don't think shame itself is necessarily the only problem or even maybe the primary problem. The primary problem comes when we dehumanize Mm. and then we don't give a chance for redemption. And so there is a difference between saying, Brian, I don't like it when you pee yourself here in the studio. Mm. Um, Is something going on with you? Can we talk about that? And can we work on you not doing that anymore? Versus me (laughs) coming on the radio and saying, Brian's this disgusting monster that pees in the studio. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we need to humanize, even if we don't like another person or, you know, public figure's behavior, Mm -hmm. we need to be able to see them as a human being and then offer a path of redemption, 
even if they don't take that path. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that opportunity for correction. And yeah. that is a that is an appropriate calling out. I don't want to use that term necessarily because it means some other stuff. But that reaching out and saying, you know, that thing that you said can be taken really hurtfully. I don't know if you mean to be saying that. What's going on? Like why? As opposed to turning a, a blind ear yeah. to the things that get said. Yeah. Social, in the social media context. A lot of times I see, I'm not on Facebook directly, but I hear about it and I remember seeing it. People feel very free to say all kinds of things on social media that many people find controversial or upsetting. And then instead of doing it behind the scenes and doing it privately to the person, they decide to make the argument public. Yeah. 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 And the other thing that happens, there's this uh, concept in psychology called intentional thinking. Mm. And I think this is a really key problem as well with what's happening is it isn't just that I'm having the reaction. I don't like what that person said or did. It's that we do intentional thinking, which is we're assuming intention, a particular intention Mm -hmm. on the other person's part. So Mm. I don't like what you said, and I'm assuming you meant it this way, or I'm assuming you meant to hurt me, or I'm assuming this means you're totally ignorant about this. And so I think I do want people to be able to give feedback because I think feedback is so helpful to hopefully do it in a private, kind, constructive way would be helpful. Mm -hmm. But if you could give feedback without doing the intentional thinking, and even if you could give feedback giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, truly in your mind, assuming that they didn't mean to harm you. They still did harm you. They That's still right. did hurt you. Yeah. That's but right. they didn't mean to. There's so much more chance for their behavior actually to be corrected, right. which is what you want. Yeah. To have the behavior more accurately reflect the intent. Exactly. I think that's a great standalone point about the conflation of intent and effect. Yeah. Jenna, if you and I are dancing and I step on your feet and you say, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. And I say, well, we were just You just don't care about me. You just don't respect me. You're Uh never paying attention to me. What a mean thing. You're such a mean person. Uh Yeah. And then I say, well, that's crazy. We were just dancing. Mm -hmm. That you have conflated my, the effect on your foot as my intent. And I have conflated my intent with the effect. Yes. I didn't intend exactly. to stomp on your foot. Therefore, you don't deserve to be exactly. hurting. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yep. So interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When you see shame show up for most of your clients, I'm guessing this list is a guess. It's around sex. It's around issues of financial responsibility or lack thereof. Uh, it's probably around issues of interpersonal relationships with friends and family that they don't feel really good about. And I do know a lot of moms feel shame in terms of, oh my God, I'm the worst mother. (laughs) So I want, I want you to talk in the, in the few minutes we have left about some of the things you can work with if you're a person who does feel shame and you can tell that it's not that great for you. Well, first I would say the things people feel shame about are the things that they usually care most about, or at least the culture cares most about. And so if you're feeling shame about something, it's telling you about what is mattering and you get to make a choice about whether or not you want to make that matter to you. But then the antidote for shame is light, bringing shame out into the light in a place where that is safe and appropriate, somebody who has your best intentions. Um, right. The, the safe 
someone who has their best intentions. Like I was saying before, emotions love themselves. So if you can act opposite the emotion, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. However, if you're afraid of dogs, you probably don't want to pet the angriest, most upset dog at right. the Humane Society. You don't want yep. to do that because if you get bit, you're just, the, the lesson learned will be, yeah. I knew I was right. Dogs, all dogs are dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, yes. Shame does not survive in the light. It only survives in the darkness. Right. But don't practice light in social media. Exactly. Uh -huh. And then if somebody is in therapy, there's a really great evidence-based intervention for shame. Uh -huh. uh, it's based on emotion-focused therapy. And uh, it's called a two-chair technique where you're actually being able to bring out this person who is criticizing you, yourself, your self-critic, mm. and actually see the impact of that yeah. self-criticism because self-criticism and shame are so tied together. Yeah. You know, I, I would just add... You listed off a thing that a list of things that people often feel shame about when they come to therapy. In my experience, probably the most dominant one is their own struggles. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. Their emotional struggles. Right. And it's one of the reasons why I'm here mm -hmm. and why I'm glad we're doing this podcast is because I think this is a way for us to talk about ourselves and for our guests to also talk about themselves when we have guests on that lets people know, you know, you're not alone and we're all in the soup. And it's okay to be human and feel stuff. It's so wonderful um, that you just said that, Brian, because this past past three or four days, I have felt my mood and, and things going really low. And I'm like, get it up there. You can't be hosting a show like this if mm. you're feeling so depressed. Mm. What what the hell are you doing? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Self-talk, put myself <laughs> in the chair. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Jesus, if I can't say I'm depressed, what is the point of this show? So it's yeah. just so much more lovely to be able to actually talk openly about it and find, oh, the, the depth of the human experience is shared by every one of us. So Absolutely. thank you again. Sure. Our program is brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care and Cedar Hills Hospital. And we would sure love a review on one of the platforms where you listen. Our engineers are Mike Shacker and John Hugel. Thanks again for iHeart Studios, where we record. Bye -bye.